Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 122 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start this show with a quote which speaks to the heart of why I do the Speaking Club, really. And it's a quote from Kristin Linklater. Free the voice, free the person. As you know, Kristin was a recent guest on episode 116 of the podcast, which many of you have told me that you loved. Unfortunately, Kristin sadly passed away at the end of last week. If you've listened to that interview, I'm sure you could tell that she was full of life, fun and passion for her mission of helping people to free their voice and share their own message powerfully and authentically. I feel privileged to have had the opportunity to speak with her. And if you haven't listened to that show, then do, as you'll get so much from Kristin to help your speaking. She will be missed. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking. And because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So... If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello and thanks for joining me again on The Speaking Club. I hope you and your loved ones are well and safe. Uh, 2020 is shaping up to be a year of massive change. The impact of that pandemic continues to ripple out into the way we live our lives and do business and As I said before, not everything will go back to the way it was. At least I don't believe it will. And the tragic and unnecessary death of George Floyd has been the catalyst for us all to examine the gaping holes of inequality that need to be fixed uh, in all areas of society. Now, I recorded this episode with Michael Arterberry at the end of April, but I think his story his work, and the message he shares are even more important now. In the show, Michael tells his own story of hardship and struggle that led him to find his purpose and mission, of which speaking is a massive part. And we talked about how he helps individuals break the negative cycles of their past to forge their own future, and how he uses stories to break down ignorance and build bridges of enlightenment that brings diverse communities together. He also shares how he puts his talks together and some of his secret speaking tricks that inspire, lead and encourage people to change their thinking and their actions. But before I play the interview, I just want to tell you about a brand new seven-day experience I've just put together for you especially if you're an online entrepreneur, author, expert or coach and you want to make your videos, lives, podcasts and webinars more powerful and to build your tribe more easily. It's called the 7-Day Snackable Story Challenge and it's a mix of resources and training with me that will give you new skills, confidence and a tangible result in just 7 days. Snackable stories are like really powerful content that you can deliver in around three minutes and you can use them everywhere to engage your audience and create those aha moments. In this challenge, I'm going to be helping you discover your snackable stories and I'll be teaching you how to share them easily so that you can use them to grow your brand, your authority and of course, 
your business. And the best bit is that it's all completely free. Just go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge and you can get access straight away. I'll pop the link in the show notes too. Okay, let's head over to my interview with Michael. Welcome to the speaking club, Michael Arterberry. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm, I'm really, um, I've, I've read a lot about you. I've watched uh, lots of interviews and I'm, I love your story. And uh, so that, that story, you know, from what I gather, you started from very humble beginnings and your childhood wasn't easy. But how do you think that shaped you and led you to what you do today? Well, um, I think the best way to set up my life is I, I want to tell you a story. It's a quick story, oh, I love but it stories. helps. Yeah. It helps to illustrate um, what I've been through and what I've been able to do with it mm-hmm. to do what I do today. So it's about a farmer and a donkey. Right. Okay. A farmer and a donkey. So this donkey is like one of his favorite farm animals. Because once he finishes working on the field with the donkey, he brings the donkey back to the house and he allows the donkey to play with his kids. So his kids come running out of the house and they play with the donkey. They wash him and pet him. And then at the end of the night, you know, he sends him back out to the farm. And so this is like a normal ritual. So one night he brings the donkey home. They play with the donkey. He releases him out to the farm and goes inside. But when he comes out the next morning, he calls the donkey and the donkey doesn't show up. So when the donkey doesn't show up, he's concerned. So he starts walking around the farm and he's calling his name. Finally, he hears him making noise at the bottom of an empty water well. During the night, he fell into the well and obviously he couldn't get out. So the farmer goes over, he looks in the well, and he decides to get six of his friends to help him with the donkey. They get over to the well and they decide that they're going to pull the donkey out with some rope. So all six of them got rope and they start to lasso the donkey. They throw it down, they miss him. They throw it down, they miss him. They finally throw it by his hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body and they start pulling. They pull, the donkey moves. They pull, the donkey moves. They pull, the donkey moves. And halfway up the, the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So when they realize he's too heavy, they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now that farmer has to make a grim decision. Now, see, he can't feed him food at the bottom of the well that he could give his family because that wouldn't make any sense. He really can't starve him because, like I said, it's more like a pet. So that really wasn't registering with his brain. Then one of his hot-headed friends were like, oh, just shoot him. He's like, no, I can't shoot him. It's too violent. So one of his more reasonable friends said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So you're going to have to sacrifice your donkey or we're going to fill the hole with dirt. So they're going to cover the donkey with dirt. So they all got shovels and they start shoveling the dirt. And every time that dirt hit the donkey, he would scream. And every time he would scream, it would cause the farmer some distress. So we got scoop of dirt, scream, scoop of dirt, scream, scoop of dirt, scream. Then all of a sudden, the scream stopped. When the scream stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence. But then they went back to work. They kept scooping, they kept scooping. Then all of a sudden, you see the donkey's right ear. They start scooping much faster. You see half his body. 
They start scooping faster, and that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. So listen to this, Sarah. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would shake it off, and he would step on it. And he used every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now, I tell you that story because that's me. And what I was able to do is I was able to take every scoop of dirt from my life and I use it as a catalyst to be successful rather than an obstacle for failure. So just let me tell you a few of my, my dirt. I won't go into it into in depth, but that's a lovely I had a story, great... by the way. Just thank you. Nice. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I, I start all my, my my public speaking with that and my groups with the kids. It always kind of draws them in. But um, some of my dirt, my dad was a raging alcoholic, and I, I put raging in front of that. Because you have to understand that he raged for the 16 years I was born. I mean, from the time I was born until he died when I was 16. And that rage created an unstable environment. So you got to imagine, I never had one day where I had a day off from saying to myself, what's going to happen when I get home? You know, I have a memory of when I was in kindergarten and I'm playing with blocks. And as I'm playing with the blocks, I'm looking at the other kindergartners and I see how peaceful they are. And I know how I'm feeling inside. And I'm wondering, like, do they go home to the same situation that I do? You know, um, I grew up in poverty. My mom and dad both worked full time, but his money went to the drinking. My mom was a housekeeper. She cleaned people's homes for a living. And so she was raising four kids with a, a minimal salary. So we really didn't have much money. And my, my neighborhood was tough. It was bad. I had a uh, lot, a lot of uh, bums, alcoholics on the streets. Um, a lot of the kids, drug addicts, um, and not a lot of positive mentoring. So, you know, when I look at my life and I look at the donkey story, I was able to take all those things. And what it did is it gave me this passion because I was able to step on my dirt and make it. It gave me this passion to want to walk other people down that path. So that's what got me really interested in, in the transformation of others because I was able to transform myself. And was that something so, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely story and it's, a, a, you know, really difficult stuff. Was there a time where things were going down the wrong path and something happened to you? to create an epiphany that sh sort of shifted you into what you did today? Or were you always able to have that uh, resilience and perspective to put your life back on track, even though you'd had that start? Do, do you know what I mean? Did something happen? Yeah, yeah. Or, or no. were you just philosophical and you know, positive and of your own accord? What happened was, is my mother... Not not believing in therapy. Yeah. What she did immediately is she put me into sports. Um, so immediately at eight, she started me and I just rotated sports until I graduated high school. So I started with uh, a soccer. Um, then I played basketball, football and baseball. And so there's, in, in, you know, 
the different seasons. Yeah. So I would start a season, finish a season and keep going. And so from the age of eight until I graduated high school, I did that. And I was an elite athlete. I could have went to college for all four of the sports to the, some of the top colleges here. So, you know, what I did and what kept me protected from what was going on in my home is that I would come home, deal with the crisis, but my practices, my teammates, my coaches was an environment that was totally separate. And I was a maniac on the sports field because I used that as a place to get all of the things out of me that I was witnessing and going through as a young person. Gosh, and I, and I, I think I heard or read or saw that at one point you might have ended up in the UK with your sports. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I came out of college, I'm older, I'm, a, I'm 52. But when I came out of college, they had just started doing American football um, uh, across the pond. You know, that's what I say. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, across the pond. But anyway, and what they would do is they would have um, four, four Americans that played what they call skill positions, like quarterback, running back, and then the rest of the team would be countrymen. Yeah. So they had it in England, France, whatever. So um, there was a team called the Nottingham Hoods. All right. Yeah. 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 Nottingham Hoods. And a bunch of my buddies were going over there to play. Um, and there was some interest there, but my mom got sick and I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to, you didn't get paid big money. And I had just graduated college and I could have gotten a job here, you know, in the States to make as much as I was going to make there. And because she was sick, I didn't want to leave her. So I, I passed up on it and I, I started to chase my career. I got a degree in social work. So I started doing that before I got into, you know, this main focus of what I do today. Cool. So it wasn't the rain that put you off then? No, no, not the <laughs> rain. Not the rain. And some of my buddies came and they, they, they loved it because they were, you know, they were like famous. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Because, you know, and you, they would give you, it was beautiful. You would get a seven month visa. They would get you a job. You worked at a pub or someplace. Right. Can you imagine being freshly out of college, seven months in another place? I mean, that part, I, I really uh, feel like I miss, but, you know. Oh, I'll have to, you'll have to get over to the UK when things get back to normal and do some speaking and stuff. Yeah, um, I would love to. I would love so, to, yes. Now, we, we've kind of come, come up to today, and there are two sides to what you do, as, as I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong. Right. One is working with kids, uh-huh. and the other is working with adults. Can right. you tell me about the work that you do with kids first? Okay. So what I do is I created, so I told you the story about the donkey. Using that experience in my college education, I created a youth development program that I call power of peace. And what I do is I go into high schools and I'll meet with the principal and I'll ask him to give me 25 to 30 students that are from all different walks of life. So I want white, black, Latino. I want uh, honor roll students, kids are struggling in school. I put them in the room and I run them through a two day experiential workshop. And what the premise of the workshop is, is I want to, I start with the story of the donkey. I show a picture of the house that I grew up in, which if you see it, it's horrific. So you would think it's abandoned. 
And then I show them the home that I live in now. I do that before I do any of the material, letting them know where I came from. But what I want to do in the two days is I want them to walk back through their lives, get an understanding of what they've come through. Because even as adults, we sometimes, or not sometimes, we do, we step on landmines. And we don't realize that when we stepped on the landmine, there was some damage that occurred. But we don't realize that the damage occurred and we start making life decisions depending on the damage that happened. And so these young people are running around making choices, not understanding where the choice has its foundation. And so we, and I tell the story of the docky. So in the process, we do activities where I put them through the, the activities, create conversation so that they can go back and touch their dirt realize what their dirt is, but the overarching goal is to be able to navigate and strategically plan the rest of your life now that you've got a gauge on where you are and what you've, what you've gone through. And um, I'd imagine that's quite a um, life-changing experience for the children is right. it also, I'm imagining you get an, a, massive, a, a massive reward from doing that as well. Oh, I mean, it, 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 um, it, it, when you say life-changing, it is to watch it happen, you know, to watch a kid come in and, and be so dark. But as they walk through their story and they start to piece things together, you see the light comes out. Um, it feeds my soul. You know, I've, I've, I've come to the realization like the summer times here, I don't work as much because I'm in schools and by the end of the summer, I'm feeling like really like starved. And once I get back into the groove, I realize that that food, you know what I mean? I'll tell you this. I, I tried out that, 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 that going, coming to play football in the UK I tried out for American football as well. So my dream was to be a professional football player. And I every so often would watch TV and be upset that I didn't make that kind of money. But one, when you talk about aha moments, one time I was driving away from one of these groups and the thought came into my mind of the money of the professional football player. But then I thought about the rich experience that I just came from. And I laughed and I was like, no way. I said, it doesn't even equate. It's not even equal. So when you say, do I get something out of it? Oh, it's, 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 put it this way. If I could feed my family, right? And with, you know, and not like get paid, I would just get up every morning, go and, and that would be it. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. And um, so there's, there's a thing you do, the power of peace. Is that, is that part of the thing that they go through when you work with them, these kids? Right. So I, they, what I do is I come to your school, I do 25 to 30 at a time. But my goal is to, so I don't do just one group. Mm. I usually do like six groups. And then most schools have me come back year after year. So we call it our power of peace family. Uh-huh. So when they finish the two days, I give them T-shirts they become part of the group. And then there's a second level. So there's another two days 
where they come back, but they have to volunteer for that. See, they're chosen for the first two days. The second two days, they come back. And then once they finish the second two days, then they become what I call co-facilitators. Oh, cool. So now every year I come back, they get to come back and help me run a group so that the, it's turnkey. So it continues, it continues to grow, you know. Um, but listen, when I talk about adults, teachers are required to be in there with the students. Yeah. So I have a minimum of two teachers in each group, but most schools send me more than two teachers. And what's beautiful about it is, and the reason why I have it happen is because students forget that teachers have a people, they think they're robots. So when you get a teacher in these groups, when you talk about life changing, you know, when I say I work with adults, the material that I use is not just for youth. It's just for humans. Yes. So to watch it work on a teacher while it's working on a student is also eye-opening because what happens is the students get a new respect for the teachers, but then the teachers get a new respect for the students. You know, you said you like stories. Let me tell you one real quick. Yeah. Um, we do an activity. Um, in my workshop at the end of the first two days, and mm -hmm. I call it personal share. So at the end of the two days, now we're all intimate, we're lovey-dovey. I say, bring in an item that means a lot to you. So everyone goes home and they bring um, stuffed animals and pictures and they want to show it and tell you, and they get emotional because they, they do a good job. Mm -hmm. So I have a group, I'm going to show you how deep it gets. I have a group we're sitting in a circle and a girl pulls out a picture of her and her father. So when she pulls out the picture, we're getting ready for the warm, cozy story. But she takes us down another path. She tells us that he had just called two days before and told her he wished that he aborted her. What? Yes. And he's walking her through. This, 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 I mean, like, why would a dad do this? So she's showing the picture. Now it's her personal share, even though it's not something happy. She, it's her sharing. She's opening, she's being transparent. And I'm telling you this because there's three teachers over as a man and he has a picture on his lap, Sarah, which, which of his family and he's crying. He's crying because he's about to show his picture of his wonderful family. But this girl is showing her picture and talking about how bad her childhood. And when we finally got to him, he says, I can't show my picture. And he, he got up and he hugged her. And that is where we bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. Because now these teachers go back into the room and they teach differently because when they stare out into the classroom, they realize that they're not just there for academics. There's kids sitting in that, that class that may have other things going on besides, you know, lacking the ability to be able to learn. Wow, that's powerful. And, and do you find, since you're sort of building this community around what you do, have, have you been able to track some of the results that the kids have had? Have they, have you sort of, are they stuck with you over time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a thing. I call them my surrogate children. So, <laughs> so I have two biological kids. You know, I have a son and a daughter, um, 16 and 12. But 
my kids from my program are my surrogate children. So when you say, do I track them? They're my sons and daughters. So when they go to college, um, Easter, Christmas, I get emails, I get phone calls. You know, what I love to get is on social media is when I'll get a message and I'll get one to say, you know, I just want to thank you because I was at a pinnacle part in my life and you, 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 you were able to open my eyes, you know what I mean? And allow me to see things in a proper way. You know, I had one girl, four generations and no one had ever graduated high school. So, you know, this girl, her role models were people that failed. And so she came into my program in the ninth grade. I saw she needed more and I saw she connected to me. So what I did is I said, you know what? I'm not going to have her be accountable to her parents because obviously they don't know what they're doing. So I made her accountable to me. So I'm in and out of the school every year. She she had to worry about if I was going to check her grades, if I was going to be upset with her. And you know what? She graduated high school. And so it was, yeah, it was. And it was beautiful. And I cried at her graduation because when she got up to get that certificate, what she did is, and it's what I teach with all people, is she broke a cycle. See, in my life, I broke a cycle. I came through something and and I was able, I'm nothing like my childhood. A matter of fact, I'm not, I'm not even like my siblings. They've gotten their lives together after the fact, and it took them a little bit more time. But my life that I live, matter of fact, I'll tell you this. I don't tell many people this, so you you feel privileged that I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> but um, when I used to, so in my, my old house, in the winter times, we barely would have heat. My mom would boil water on the stove, and it would create vapors to create heat. And that's how we used to heat up my apartment. I'm telling you this because there were nights that I would fall asleep in my cold bed and I would be crying. But I promised myself that when I got older, that my kids would never, ever have to live the life that I was living. And don't you know, as I was going through life and when times got hard, there were times where my unborn children became the catalyst to my push. And I tell you that because I graduated to this life. You know, I have a nice life now, but my kids only know the afterlife. And so I was able to break the cycle. My kids won't, yeah, yeah. My kids won't um, won't have to tell the stories that I've been able to tell. Now, the other thing, that you do obviously is motivational speaking and I can see why yeah. after speaking to you and what made you switch into that and how easy did you find it to transition into speaking to adult audiences so what, what happened was is um I realized capturing 25 to 30 people was cool but I needed to get more you know what I'm saying um and what I did is I added a package I added a package um, to what I sold to the school. So what I would do is in a, so, so if I come to your school and you have 800 students, yeah. I know I can't speak to 800 students. Like you can't send me that many in a year. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to get my message in the entire building 
so that the whole school is speaking a language. And then I would get the specific kids to come in the group. So I started to do these assemblies when school started and, and it was, it was a high. I mean, you, you really, it, it's exciting. And so I saw that people were responding in that way. And then that's when I started to expand it and, and, and speak to, um, audiences. You know, um, what I love about doing it is when you finish speaking, having people come up and, and I mean, you only talk for 45 minutes, but I have people coming up in tears, you know, cause I start with the donkey story, which yeah. a lot of people can relate to. And then I walk them through my life, but not only through my life, I use some tags during my talks. One of the tags I use is be the driver of your car, not the passenger of your car. And what I explain by that is the fact that we as humans have a difficult time with affirmation. And so you think negative about yourself, but then people don't help you. Your peers, it could be family members, or it could be a situation you've gone through growing up in your life. And I explained to them that if you allow that to control your life, it becomes the driver and you become the passenger. Mm-hmm. And that we have to learn to self-reflect and see where it, it it's happening, and we have to take back our keys and become the driver. You know, what people don't understand is that you can, you don't have to keep a thought. See, if you keep a thought and you allow it to plant itself and it germinates, it grows. So what I teach and I train adults and young people is that when you get a thought that comes in your mind and you don't want it, kick it out. You know, and so you have to be the driver of your car. I talk about the fact that you have to be cognizant of how you want to be remembered. When you leave somebody, what is that impression that you want to leave on them once you leave? And don't live life with regrets. So when you don't leave life with regrets, you know, what, what I'm big on is preparation. See, if you prepare properly, then your outcome will be more successful and you don't have to look back and see if you were unable to accomplish it with the regrets. So I walk people through those different steps through my talks. And after it's over, you know, I, I really get a positive response. So the, 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 the public speaking kind of morphed into itself. And when I'm in the groups and I speak in a group of 20, it's motivational speaking. I'm just not standing on a podium. Yeah, definitely. And do you, yeah. have you talked exclusively to, to sort of adult audiences? And, and if you have, have you found that you've needed to change the message or change the way that you talk to them in any way? Or do you just kind of like this message is a uni- you know, it's universal? Un- universal. You know, what happens yep. is I get, I, get, I get called into a lot of schools to speak to just teachers. You know, um, sometimes I've been called into schools where the camaraderie is there. Where, where the teachers are not getting along. And so I've had administrators bring me in and run teachers through the, the two-day program so that they can, yeah, so they can get a better understanding. And you know what's amazing is people get up and they put on a mask to come to work. And so a lot of times you don't meet the person for who they are. And so they do quirky things and you look at them, you're like, wow, I wonder why they do that. But you know what? Once you go through a two-day experience and you become transparent, 
it gives you the ability to be able to work with someone because you give them um, some slack in the areas of where they maybe haven't been able to tell you. So I've been able to come into some situations where, where teachers are not really getting along and be able to create a, 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 a space of peace so that they can get together um, and, and work together. Also, real quickly, um, I get called in to do groups a lot when there's um, problems with diversity. Okay. Yeah, if they're having issues with um, different types of groups, you know, here in the States, the African-American communities are spreading out to the more um, affluent communities, which are more like white communities. Mm -hmm. And those communities are not welcome to that. So a lot of times I'm called in to bring these students into groups so that they can start to have some dialogue so that it can break down the, the, the um, animosity between them because hate is based on not knowing. Ignorance, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it is. And so what happens is, is if you're African-American and all your friends are all African-American, the only, only judgment you have about someone that's white is, is what you say, not about the pe person you meet. And so once they start to break down and talk to each other about who they are as people, you know, um, I tell them all the time when they come into the group and they stare around the circle, everyone is a face. And see, we in life, we treat people as faces. But when you get to know someone and what's underneath the face, then you start to create and treat them as people. So they come in, they see a face. But at the end of the two days, they start to treat each other like people. And that's part of what I want to do to send that back out into the student body and in the building. Wow, you must be quite a skillful facilitator if you're able to bring like that sort of group into some sort of harmony. It's uh, I suspect you've had some. Do you have things kick off at all? Do you have to, you know, manage? No, you know, well, you know, what's 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 really What's the best part about it is the way the materials put together. Um, I'm a spiritual guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm very much into my faith. Um, and, 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 and even when I write my talks, I sit down in a quiet space and in the, in the faith, they call it the Holy Spirit. So it speaks to you. And I just let the pen flow by what my spirit tells me. So when I put the program together, that's exactly what I did. So it has almost a spiritual connection to it. So it touches them deeply. Yeah. So even when they come in and it, there is that animosity, because of the nature of what's going on, it almost puts them in a state where they, they I, I never had anyone really start to really get angry with each other. But I have the stories. And what's beautiful is if you go into a building and these kids are not getting along, imagine now I release 30 of them back into the building. And then kids, now you're walking down the hall and you see the big black guy that never, never really talks to the little little uh, kid that is really good in school. And then they're, they're chatting it up. And so you look at him, you get students that look at him and they're saying, whoa, what happened that that spreads the message and it makes other people curious. And as they come into the groups, that's what I'm able to do within a, an entire building. That's amazing. So you've got you sort of infiltrate 
and then yeah, that spreads out from there in in yeah. a in a positive way, not like we're going through at the moment in a, in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so you've mentioned a few times about you, you use the word preparation, and I wanted to ask you, and, and you've also mentioned a little bit about how you put your talk together, but I wanted to ask you about your process for putting right. a, a talk together. Um, how, how do you do it? I, I guess you do prepare quite well, do you? Well, what I do is um, I have I study every 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 day. When I say study, uh, I'll listen to an inspiring speaker mm-hmm. um, on a different subject. It could be any subject. Um, I'll take notes at the time that I'm listening to the speaker, um, absorb or whatever it is that is being taught to me, and then I'll sit down and write my talk. And so what happens is I just let my mind kind of go where it wants to, um, but keep an, an overarching theme as I walk through the process. Um, and, you know, I'll start out like we're doing as far as with this interview mm-hmm. is I can start out on a path. And again, if you really have a connection to your to your spirit, mm-hmm. I can sense, and it don't don't call don't think I'm weird. Don't think I'm weird, <laughs> but I, I'm like 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 if I'm talking to an audience, I can like sense that somebody in the audience needs a message, and my brain will take me there, and I'll stay there for a little while because you know I feel like the spirit is telling me, and and I'll just hover there and talk, and those are the 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 the, the talks where the person. Or people will come up afterwards and be like, wow, you know, I really, really needed that. And then I get a little freaked out because I know that it wasn't even on my paper. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't on my paper. So when I prepare, I'm, I'm, um, I'm very much in touch with myself. I think it's part of what's been able to make me successful. Um, I really am big on uh, living a conscious life. Mm-hmm. So uh, self-reflection. Um, I'm constantly aware of where I'm at in the present time. Um, that is, I think, one, because of being spiritual, mm-hmm. but two, because of when you're with teenagers, you have to gauge constantly because, you know, sometimes, it, like like a, an example, you got 15 minutes to win. 15 minutes. If you don't win them in the first 15 minutes, imagine for two days I'm with a group of teenagers. When I tell people, they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> so I had, yeah, they do. They're like, I how do you put him in a room for two days? You know, and it, for me, it's, it's cake, but constantly being aware of where I'm at, you know, I know not to talk too much. I know to look and see if maybe I've gone a little too long or when you say the, the kids that don't get along, or if I get a kid that's resistant, that's pressing against me, being able to not become defensive mm. and being able to deflect and maneuver, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and work my way around it. It's really interesting, actually, because I think I think you're right. You're talking. I think you're you've got a connect. You know, you're talking about that connection to yourself. But I actually think that what you've also got, which is something that I try and, and talk about and share often with you know, people through the podcast and and people that I work with on speaking is that ability to let go, stay present and trust. 
And I also yeah. think that if you can do that, which it sounds like you're very good at, what is actually also a very strong connection for you is your connection with the audience and being able right. to read the audience and also possibly picking up those messages from people in the audience because you are present and you're focused on serving them and being the vehicle for the message rather than making it about you, which a lot of speakers make that mistake of making it about them when it's, right. it's about getting that message to the people who need to hear it. So I think that's yeah. probably, it's, it's your connection to you and your self-awareness, but also I think you have a really strong connection with the audience, which I'm, sen I'm, I'm sensing that that's probably what happens as well. Yeah, and you know what? When you say that, what it makes me think of, and, and it's the speakers that I like and enjoy, mm. is authenticity. Yes, absolutely. You you see, like 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 like, sometimes to the point where my wife gets a little upset. I'm 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 a sh like I'm, I'm I'm real, so it's hard for me to be around people that are not. So you know, you take me to like a dinner party, and you got that person at the table that's phony and fake. You know, I'll give them a long rope, but you got she she's kicking me under the table. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Because eventually, you know, I have to call them on it. Like, you know, listen, you know, like, come on. So, you know, and I hate being around people that are not authentic. Yeah. You know, it rubs me the wrong way. So I think when I speak, especially with the groups, with the teenagers, I am, I, sometimes they, they, they forget that I'm even an adult in the room because I, I just totally, I, I strip, I'm naked. You know what I mean? And I just go in there and I think my authenticity is something that people are drawn to because I'm so comfortable with myself that I'm not constantly worried about what you think about me because I could care less. Yeah, and that's beautiful. And that's kind of, and I think that's the essence of a great speaker. Obviously, learning the craft and all of that good stuff. But I think there's a lot of speakers out there that are overproduced that are just like, you know, all that, ah, you know, and, yeah. and so having someone real and, and they, you know, if you can get the craft and the authenticity and the, the sort of present, you know, being present, I think that's the sort of winning combination. It sounds like you've got it. Now, um, the next thing I wanted to ask you before I go on to my standard questions is I, you've used stories all the way through this chat and how important is it for you to use stories in your speaking and in your work with the kids that you do? Oh, it is. It is. It is. Every activity I do with them, I end with a real life story about a person. If it's not about me, mm -hmm. it's about someone that I can turn them to so that they can understand that it's real. Mm -hmm. You know, I always even tell them that, you know, sometimes you'll watch like a talk show you'll see something that really moves you, but then you say it's on television. So when I really get them in deep, I'll tell them, come here, touch me. Yeah, see? Skin. The stuff that you're hearing, this is not fantasy. That man and that boy that I'm talking to you about is sitting right here in the flesh. And so people that move me are people that use you know, I, I listen to worship music, you know, worship music. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm telling you that, like, you, we all have aha moments. And I'm saying I had one the other morning when I realized 
part of, you know, the craft and my gift is people do relate to my story. But a, a, a woman sang her song, but once she finished, she gave her testimony of her life. And it touched me deep. And when it touched me, I'm like, wow, I made that connection. So, you know, telling the stories allows people to be able to see it in real time, you know, um, and it, it's, 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 it's easier for you to apply it when you're able to, to do that. So, yeah, I, I think it's very, very important to use stories and to keep it, keep it uh, real. And do you kind of just, when something happens, you're like, oh, that will make a great story to tell. Or do you, do you just sort of gather them up? How does how does that work for you? Or just you know how do you get them through your work? Or? So, well, well, for for my workshops, what happens is I have stories attached to activities. Yeah. But see, again, when we talk about authenticity and being in tune with your spirit, right? I may come into a group. And my spirit may bring me a, a, a totally different story or something may happen. And so what I'm good at is, is I'm good at not feeling like I'm stuck on a script. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I will allow myself to go wherever my mind wants to go. You know what I'm saying? So I have some standard stories, but you know what? I'll tell you this, 52 years old, I lived a full life. So when you talk about stories, and I wasn't always Joe Peaceful. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah, I wasn't. I mean, I went through the changes. So, you know, I have the good stories of Mr. Motivator, but I have some stories in my backpack where, you know, I tell the kids and they're looking at me like, wait a second. And, you know, part of my program, the first thing we do is we get adjective names. So we, we, we go around the circle. You have to pick an adjective that starts with the first letter of your name that describes your personality. So in all my groups, I'm Mighty Mike. Uh -huh. And that's my adjective name. And so they'll say, you know, when I'm telling the story, they'd be like, Mighty Mike, no way, no way you did that. And I'm like, listen, listen, you know, so you know that you have to let them know that, you know, you, I didn't, I didn't just wake up and, you know, and I come in, I dress nice, you know, the reason why I bring them back in my story is so many times, you know, they see us polished and they don't understand that, you know, and not only am I not, uh, I'm polished, I'm still growing. You know what I'm saying? We still make mistakes. You know, we always have to be students. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. yeah, yeah, you, you definitely have to always be a student. Brilliant. Listen, well, thank you for sharing all of that. And I want to talk to you about where people can get hold of you, but I have some standard questions. Uh, to okay. ask you, uh, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? It's been therapeutic. <laughs> cool. It's been therapeutic. So you got to imagine. Um, and what's so, so beautiful about it is I can help people heal because I've healed myself. See, people that are speakers and facilitators that are still wounded, they find it, they don't know that it's happening, but it's harder for them to help others because they're still going through it. Mm -hmm. But what for me it's been able to do is I haven't had to sit in the, on the couch because I get to talk about it on a daily basis. And it made me think about it like, you know, I mean, and, and when I say my dad was a raging alcoholic, 
I'm going to do some like movie like stuff in my home. But because I talk and I express it, um, I don't I don't hold on to it. So it's not like I'm holding on to it every day. I tell and I talk about it. So it's been very, very therapeutic. Brilliant. I've never had that before. That is right. There is a, there is a, it is cathartic, isn't it, to speak, to get it? Yeah, that's absolutely cool. Okay. Now, Michael, have you had the worst, what's your worst gig? Have you had one of those ones that you're like, oh my goodness, that was a nightmare? <laughs> okay. So I wish you were, you kind of lived in the States so you can grasp this one fully. But there's different towns in 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 the states where it's it's the, the kids are just horrible, horrible. I mean, like horrible. And it's not like one or two kids; it's an entire school. So I went into a school, and um, I'm talking, and, and these kids are like, it's not like I'm even standing at the podium, and I'm saying to myself, I can't believe this is happening. And what I had to actually do in the middle of speaking is start to reprimand kids in the audience. No. Yeah. But you know what? Because of my gift, I did it in such a way that it almost looked like it was part of what I did. And I did it real smooth that it shook the others to the point where from that point forward, I had silence. You know what I'm saying? You know, I think one young man was talking and I kind of said to him, I said, you know, and I, I talked a little slang and I said, my man, um, I'll wait until you finish. And then once you finish, you give me permission and then we can get this thing done. And so he kind of looked at me and everybody's like, oh, wow, this guy must be really serious. So, you know, it was, it was, yeah, I walked in and and, you know, I had an audience that was kind of like, you know, listen, I'm not going to listen to them. But by the time it was done, you know, I was able to get their attention. Oh, sounds like one of my stand-up comedy gigs with some nasty hecklers. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. <laughs> okay, now, what is the book that's had most impact on your life and why? Okay, um, the book that had the most impact on my life, there's several. But um, I like one. Um, it's called the, the Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkinson. Okay. Uh, yeah. You ever hear it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't help me personally, but it helps me in my craft. And I'm a firm believer that we are all born with um, a desire to be something and to do something. And sometimes we're lucky enough to walk the path and find it. Sometimes we get bullied so that we don't do what, um, what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but the book talks about that you are born with it and um, people stray from it, but your life will not be complete until you get back to it. And so um, I try to preach and, and, um, pass that message on and it, it means a lot to me because I'm a firm believer of being able to live out in your purpose you know I, I know that I'm in my purpose and I get very excited about the fact that um, professional football wasn't really where I needed to be 
Yeah, I did have a question about do you think you're living your purpose, but I thought it was redundant since it so clearly came across in everything that you, you've been <laughs> saying. Okay, cool. I'll put a link right. to that book in the show notes. Um, next question. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why? Um, you know, I um I went to right before this coronavirus, mm-hmm. I went to a branding seminar. Right. Right right before. Um and it was it was eye opening. Me talking to you on this podcast is simply because I went to that conference. They talked about how you need to get your message out globally. So I've been on so many different platforms, but the advice was the fact that you need to take your message globally. And that's that's been something that I've been trying to do since. That's that's very good advice. Well, it's I do vet my guests, Michael. So you know, you did well. It was good. It was a good email. So uh, yeah, cool, um, <laughs> excellent. And the last uh, question is: if you could have a mentor, and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Wow, a mentor. I don't want to get too. Ah, I got to go with it. I got to go with it. You know, I'm I'm a man of God. Yeah, it is. You know, I'll tell you this. um, Being a man of faith, I have a strong relationship with God. I mean, really. I spend time every morning. um, I read the Bible, you know. But but you can catch me on a day and I can curse like a sailor. So I'm real. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So... So, you know, please, just, just in case we, we, we grab a beer or something together, you say, hey, wait a second, this guy, I'm, I'm, I'm a real Christian. Yeah. But I say that to you because um, I love when I get the compliment of the fact that people feel like they've been in the presence of God, mm-hmm. but they've been or spent time with me. You know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, it would be God. It'd be God. You know, the Bible talks about living Christ-like. You know, I, I heard a woman speak, and she said that once she left the room, she would want people to sniff and say, "If it smells like God was here. And that's part of one of the things that I try to strive for. When I finish talking to someone, you know, I want that essence to be left in the room and, and in the air once I leave their presence. And is, is have you always had a close relationship with God, or was that something that you discovered? You know, you sort of or rediscovered a, a, along the path that you travelled. Well, rediscovered. I think my mom was always always had a good relationship. I grew up in church, mm-hmm. um, but was totally defiant to it. Yeah. But it was crazy because. I knew that it was the right thing, but I would always tell someone that I wasn't ready yet. You know, I remember coming in from a bar drunk, you know, drunk, getting ready to lay down in my bed, but I would say my prayers. So I, you know, I had regiments within my, my, my life, even though I wasn't really with the relationship, but you know, I, I got serious about it. Um, one of my good friends was getting married and he and his wife, got baptized before they got married so that they can go into the marriage feeling almost like cleansed. Mm. And I thought it was a little bizarre at the time. Um, And I went to the baptism and it was like an out-of-body experience. When they dipped him into the water, 
it felt like they dipped me into the water. And I left that church and I was never the same. I was never the same. I, I wore jewelry. I had earrings. I came home. I scared my wife now, but she was my girlfriend. I took my jewelry off. I started to dive into different messages. And you know what I realized is that my mother was such a praying woman. She prayed us through that catastrophe we lived, but also that I'm his instrument. You know, he saved me and allowed me to go through all those things because I'm 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 one of his soldiers. You know, me talking to you on this podcast is not it's not it's not a mistake. You know, this message people need to hear it at this time. Mm. You know, people need to be encouraged. You know, um, and I just feel like like everything happened for a reason. You know what I'm saying? And now that I've been able to partner with him. I always had a gift of touching people. So I, I touched people before I was deep into my faith, but now it's on a whole nother level. Cool. There you go. I've never had God before. So yeah. you're, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Really? Yeah. 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 So, uh, and this comes back to that authenticity though, doesn't it, Michael? Yeah. A lot of people may think it, but they're too scared to say it. So yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yes. Now, listen, if people want to um, find out more about you, um, get you in to teach your program when things get back to normal or speak or get you on another podcast, where's the best place for them to go? All right. So, uh, oh, can I t- talk, talk about one more thing? Yeah, of course it, it, It's a long way. Yeah, yeah. Um, during this coronavirus, I've put together a online course, uh-huh. um, and it's called Shake the Dirt Experience. So you know, with the donkey, I told yes. the story. Yeah. So it's an eleven-week course where they can. I walk them back through their story, and I allow them to use what they've gone through to to kind of navigate the present day. So they can go to Shake the Dirt experience.com cool and there there they can register for that course okay and once the corona lifts i'm going to um do conferences yeah so they're going to be two-day conferences where they can come in person rather than doing it virtual and we'll do the two-day experience like i do with the schools and the conference and that will be the shake the dirt experience um in, in 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 the flesh um, they can go to michaelarterberry.com. That is my public speaking website. Um, if it's for the youth, um, I have my nonprofit website, yep. which is youthvoicescenter.org. And that is where they can see what I do with the youth. Facebook, Michael Arterberry, LinkedIn. Um, they can reach out to me. Um, and then I wrote a book. I wrote a book called Be Encouraged. It's it's a written in devotional form um, where you could just pick a page, read the page, and use it to motivate and inspire you for the day. Oh, and one more other book. My wife wrote a book about me. I spoke it, but she wrote it. It's called God Was Holding My Hand. Um, and it talks about my life story Um and it's a whole nother podcast. Maybe I'll come back. I had a spinal cord injury oh, and I had okay. to, uh, yeah, yeah. I had to overcome it. Um, and I was able to do so. So the, 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 the book goes into that a little bit. Um, 
and that's that's how you can kind of get get to me. Um, I'm very open with the social media. If you reach out, you know, I'm not one of those guys stuck on himself. I like to help <laughs> others. You know, yeah, you know, people get to a certain status and it's like, you know, it's crazy too. You know, and it, it's like, where did that click? Well, all of a sudden you, you feel like you just too good, you know? So I'm, I'm still that, 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 that little boy, you know, that's that authenticity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I, I like I like to interact and and you know, if I can help you, you know, believe me, I'll 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 break through brick walls. I, I wrote something in my book. I like to close with this. Is that's it all right? It. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Short term thinkers plant gardens. Long term thinkers plant trees. Eternity minded thinkers plant themselves in the souls of others. And so that's what I'm hoping that I was able to do to you and your audience. And I want you to take that with you. No, that's cool. Thank you so much um, for sharing all of that uh, wisdom and uh, your experiences. And I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be inspired from listening to that. And good luck with everything that you're doing going forward. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that. I absolutely love Michael's heart, his energy and his absolute focus on making a difference in the world. Do go and check out all the different resources he has and book him to speak for your organisation if you have some dirt to shake off. I hope what he shared has created some aha moments for you and do let him know on social media if it has. Now, I'm sure you noticed how powerful Michael's snackable stories were during the interview. And don't forget, if you want some free training resources from me to get yours working powerfully for you, then go and join my new seven-day snackable story challenge over at saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge. And you can get access to that right away. Thank you again so, so much for joining me. Please leave a review if you enjoyed the show. It does mean so much to me. And don't forget, obviously, to go and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Snackable stories are short, powerful, engaging, and very shareable. Because of all that, they are great to use in Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message, build your audience, and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle for many online entrepreneurs, authors, experts, and coaches. And that struggle can slow you down or stop you in your tracks. That's where my seven-day snackable story challenge comes in. Because over the course of just seven days, I'm going to give you resources and training that will not only build your skills and confidence, but will get you a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. And the best bit is that all of it is completely free. To find out more, including if you meet the criteria to participate, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.